You are listening to the regular version of Sexy Marriage Radio, smrnation.com. You've turned on Sexy Marriage Radio, where the best sex happens in the marriage bed. Here's your host, Dr. Corey Allen. Welcome back to another episode of Sexy Marriage Radio, where we're having straightforward, honest conversations each and every week about what goes on in your marriage. And apparently last week's episode... um, Created a little stir. Hit home with some people or, well, there, or there rubbed, two, hit a wrong nerve or no, what? No, no. There are two sides of it um, that, that kind of resonated, it sounded like. One was the extended. There was some pretty good banter um, in, via email with me uh, and then also secondarily a little bit on Slack within, within the academy right. on just looking at uh, the difference between addressing the pain versus the problem. Right. Uh, and so that was really good. But then the whole idea of filming. Yeah. Uh, is it okay to film a sexual encounter? Um, what do you think? Yeah. And, you know, we were like, roll tape, you know, just there's yeah. some things you can take. But it, one of the Between things. Between husband and wife, right? One of the things that was kind of interesting is I'm wondering if maybe we need to in the future do a show on how. How do you create the best film? <laughs> maybe we could become a. <laughs> help, help help people produce something that's really good by just giving them good information on how right. do you set up everything to make it the best. So, yeah. I mean, if you want to know, let us know, 214-702-9565, and we'll, we'll see what we can do. I mean, we don't have theater backgrounds, but hey, you know. <laughs> <laughs> We're so glad that each and every week that the SMR Nation turns in some time with us and that they ask us the questions yeah, and they let us know in the aforementioned 214-702-9565 is our voicemail line or feedback at sexymarriageradio.com. We also ask the uh, nation to constantly go out and tell their friends. And I love that we get emails from people that are showing, yeah, I just found you guys from, and it was a friend or. Yeah. Be bold. Share it. I mean, help. If you love your friends. Share it with them, right? Because if you're getting some benefit out of it, you know your friends will. Exactly. And that's that's the whole goal that we've got is just try, try to help married life be all that can it can be because yeah. we know people are struggling and they're having some successes and we want to share both sides of that's that right. with people. So coming up on today's regular free version of Sexy Marriage Radio, um, one of your questions and our answers, and then I've got some information on, um, do you spend money like a millennial? And I know it doesn't quite fit the sexy marriage radio side of it, but it's kind of fun because money is an aspect of yeah. marriage. Yeah, it's one of the And it's one of the in. major stressors. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to ask my wife, what does she think uh, on, do we spend money like millennials? Oh, that'll be fun. Yeah. <laughs> and then coming up on the extended version, which is deeper, longer, and there are no ads, you can subscribe at smrnation.com forward slash SMR Academy. We're going to continue the conversation from last week on and go a little bit deeper with some questions to ask if you're moving beyond just pain remedy mm-hmm. to and then dealing with the problem. What are some specific questions to ask yourself? I was going to say yourself or your spouse? Both. Okay. But... But it start, you know, full well, Sexy Marriage Radio, the whole message is it starts with you. Right. And dealing with yourself better. And so we're going to dive a little bit deeper into what do you do if you really wanted to roll up your sleeves, take the courageous step, and address the problem. Yeah. 
All that's coming up on today's show. So Pam, over the years that I've been doing uh, Sexy Marriage Radio and then Simple Marriage, which was the blog that started uh, my presence online, mm-hmm. uh, I've, I've subscribed to a whole lot of other bloggers, podcasts, uh, just like a little network yeah. of people. And uh, I came across this one from, uh, I, I don't even remember the show. I think it was Christian Personal Finance. Mm-hmm. Uh, is the one that they they have a podcast and a blog that goes along with it, and they they made the 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 whole topic was on do you spend money like a millennial, and so there's ten questions. Okay. That there's there's research done that this is what millennials are doing when it comes to how they're handling money okay. and the whole context of money. Okay. And so you and I are definitely not millennials. No. And so let's see where we overlap. So there's 10. So I'm going to need you to keep track of if we're a yes or a no. Okay. I'm curious if they're saying the millennials are doing it well or not. Do they give an opinion on it? Or they're no, just, it's, it's just it's the just data, data. Right. It's okay. just, and, and so I think everybody can add their own judgment as they're listening to this in the SMR Nation mm-hmm. on is that trend a good one or not? And that's going to be uh, in the eyes of the beholder in sure. large ways. So here's number one. Okay. So if you... 60% of millennials will spend more than $4 on a single cup of coffee. Okay. Am I supposed to answer you right now? Yeah. Heck no. Right. We don't do that. No. It's very rare that we might spend something like that on. I, I, I might, but not usually because I don't... Actually, I don't know if I ever would just because I don't do any of the frou-frou... I treat my daughter lattes. to it. Yes. I treat my daughter to it once in a while because... That's her language, and she's it, it speaks to her, mm-hmm. and that that is a, a treat for her. Right, and, but sixty percent will spend f- more than four dollars on a cup of coffee. Yeah, no. Okay. No. Number two, seventy percent of millennials will spend extra money to eat at the trendy restaurant. That's going to be no again. Okay. Yeah, I mean, we have our staples that we enjoy going to, which, you know, I like adventure. I like different things, but I'd rather have a hole in the wall somewhere. I'd rather have the burger joint off a weird highway okay. or. So that's what I was in my head trying to think through somewhere. with your uh, interest in the novelty and adventure and trying things out. I almost would lean a little more towards where I closer on board with that. We might actually be a little more likely to do that. Just to test it out, but I hear... I'm well, not, trendy doesn't speak to me in we're defining, adventure. Yeah, we're defining different. Right. On where you're, where you're landing with this, I think, is, is, is where I, I agree with what you're saying, but I was almost interpreting it a little different until you just defined it that way. Yeah. Okay. Number three, 69% of millennials will buy clothes for reasons beyond basic necessity. Um. I'm curious about this one because I think there's a lot of generations that have done this one. Yeah, I spend money on clothes. I have fun I do shopping. Too. and I, Yeah, my, I have a closet full of clothes that if we're just talking necessity, right? Uh, I would probably trim away 85% of my closet. Okay. Right? Because you don't need that much stuff in all reality. That's true. What percentage would you do away with in the SMR Nation? This is a poll to those that are out there listening, if you were to get rid of what's just a necessity, what percentage would you think 
would limit, you know, how much would that eliminate some of your closet? Right. Well, I mean, how many jackets does, (laughs) does one need, but you get one that looks cute in this scenario or that scenario with this outfit or looks good with this work outfit. I don't know. Okay. Um, yeah. So I'd say that one's more of a yes. Okay. I'm, I think I might, there might be spurts for me that that would be a yes, but a majority of the time it's no, because several years ago, I went, yeah, you're simple I went and did that hundred thing challenge where I narrowed everything down of personal items to less than a, to 100 items or less. Mm-hmm. And that, I remember you came home the weekend I did that, where I boxed up three boxes of clothes, stuck them in the garage and was going to go through this challenge and see if I could go three months. Yeah. And you were like, sweet, look at how much closet space I've got now. And I've pretty much successfully taken over most of that Yeah, you really have, because I haven't really added much beyond it. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not saying that's good, but it kind of has spilled over. Okay. All right. Number four. Millennials use credit cards 32% more than other generations. Wow. 32% more. Mm -hmm. Well, um, this is a weird one to answer because... This is a weird one to answer because um, we use it just to get the points and we pay it off every month. But some of it, is, I think, is societal, especially during the pandemic when you're starting to see, uh, please exact change only, like there's a, a Buy coin shortage online. and everything is trending more towards they want to go electronic. Yeah. So uh, some of that, I think, is the way society has gone, that yeah. credit cards are just the reality of the way people are living or debit cards yeah. or something plastic. Yeah. So that one's not so weird. I mean, that's right. what okay. we use plastic all the time. So this is a great one. And you just alluded to it on the way we operate. So number five, 48% of millennials do not carry a balance on their credit cards. Well, that's fabulous. That is. That's higher than I was expecting. Yeah. And I mean, that's us too. Because that's what you want to do. I mean, that's that's trying to be a really good right? steward. Because it can, is that's that TMI the, for this show? That's or the, <laughs> nah, that's, that's the okay. one thing that can really start to wreak a lot of havoc, though. Yeah. Is is credit cards in and of itself. It, with a balance, just the APR, you know, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff just gets right. so out of control. All right, number six. 65% of millennials have not written a check in, a la- in the last year. Well, that's not us, but... Um do they even know what a check looks like? <laughs> That's a great question. <laughs> because it is one of those that it's like, if you think of the whole world of auto pay, um, just credit card, online, everything, you know, it's, yeah. we live in a much more automated society. Yeah. Number four and number six kind of go together, right? Yes, if they they're do. using more credit, they're not writing a check. Yep. Everything's automated. All right. Number seven, 69% of millennials use their phone to pay for stuff. Well, this is a yes for Corey and a no for Pam. Yes, it is. I love Apple Pay and that whole aspect of it, of just using my phone. I'm actually, I've actually been looking for a case that I could put uh, a little wallet on it. So all I have to do is carry my phone. <laughs> See, that just scares the crud out of me. I, I'm scared <laughs> enough if I lose my phone, then all my contacts and things are in there. But I want to avoid putting anything on on there that someone could easily access I, my banking info with. I don't want that because, it, you know, I get it. I've just heard of people getting yeah. their phones stolen and <laughs> boom, all of a sudden they have access to everything. That's fair. That's fair. But I, that one was kind of funny because I don't, have you ever even paid with anything for your phone? With with your phone? 
I don't think so. I don't so. think you have either. Okay, I number. Don't, I don't have the ability to on my number. Yes, yeah, right. You haven't even set it up. Number eight. Um, fifty percent of millennials spend money on Uber and Lyft. Okay, this is funny because I feel like an old fogey on this one. I've never. I haven't done that once. I haven't either. No. I've never even searched for the app uh-uh. to be able to do it on either one. No. <laughs> I see them a bunch. I know people that are Ubers or Lyft drivers. Uh, yeah, we got friends we got, doing it all the time. Yeah, clients little side that, hustles. Right. Yep. Uh, nope, not me. All right. Number nine. I, I wonder how much of that is living in suburbia, too. I don't know, because people we know up here are true. Are Lyft drivers. True, true. So, yeah, okay. it, it fits, but we, we've not. No. Number nine. 47% of millennials dine out or eat out three times or more per week. Oh, we're totally in that. And I would love to see the numbers because this is obviously pre-pandemic because this could have shifted some things mm-hmm. for, for some people because it was easier, you know, even as odd as it sounds when you're holed up at home, there's something refreshing about let's go pick up food, <laughs> right? Yeah. When, and so I'm wondering what that what that could do if you add 2020 into the mix of this kind of a study. Yeah. Or, or data. Okay. And then number 10, 58% of millennials do not carry cash or ever use cash. That is not us. Correct. It's so, just too convenient. It is. Um, and some of it is, you know, like right now it's situational for us because like when we go to our son's football games to get in the gate, you got to have cash because it's a small yeah. 1A league that he's in a six-man football, yeah. right? So when I go to the farmer's market and buy from a lot of the local places, I don't want them to have to pay the credit card fees too. I like to have cash for them to just hand that over right. just because I know we own a, have a small business and I the credit card fees add up, right? They do add up. So, That's true. Okay. So is, what do yeah. we got, babe? Out of 10, how many were yeses? Four of them. Four. Hey, so we're not yeah. millennial. Right? Okay. Who knew? (laughs) Okay, fun for us. I don't know if anybody listening had any fun with that, but fun for us. All right, Pam. So here's a topic. Um, I love it because don't know if it's ever come up before on throughout the history of this show. Okay, bring it. This is from a wife that it was introduced to our podcast through the episodes that I did and the YouTube videos I did with Dennis Merkis of Melt. Yeah. Okay. Great. So the cup massage for couples. So I really appreciate that we were encouraging, and so her situation seemed unique, but thought it would be interesting at least to share. So here you go. The first problem is that I only orgasm in my sleep, a few times a year at most. It isn't tied to my dreams, what I did that day or week or anything going on in my life. It isn't uncommon for women, but it certainly isn't discussed much. There seems to be some research done on this, and it's much more common in women who are also neurotic. Technically, I have mild to moderate Asperger's. However, I'm extremely high-functioning. I would love to find out more information about this situation and perhaps if there's any success in women like me achieving orgasm while awake. I feel like I physically tried a lot of things for several years, but maybe I'm missing something important to the situation. Second situation is I'm married to a narcissist. We've been married 15 years, and he understands that this is a part of his personality, and that can actually be a good thing because it helps him to be very successful at work. He's a very good father. As he sees our children as an extension of himself, he has great hygiene, etc. But he also sees that as it can be problematic in dealing with relationships. I don't allow him to treat me badly, to get his way all the time, or to act like a spoiled brat, but he does try sometimes. 
The difficult part with this is that I'm actually the higher desire spouse, but I feel that things are definitely on his schedule, and that's a big turnoff. And then lastly, my husband works a lot, so this fits exactly with that second issue. He works like 70 plus hours a week. I feel that we will go as long as possible without sex because he's tired and overwhelmed, which I deal with by distracting myself and working from home, planning activities, etc. He will suddenly decide he's in the mood and become overly aggressive, doing things that he considers romantic, and these seem especially so after being put on the back burner for three or more weeks. I let him know that I don't work like that, and he becomes defensive. I try to explain it as gently as possible what my needs are and how he can meet those, but he takes that as a rejection and that I'm not interested or appreciative of him. We end up fighting about it for a few days before we can get anywhere. I would love a man's perspective on this and possibly ideas of ways of breaking this cycle that's been going on for years. I know there's a lot there. Yeah, there is a lot there. And I, the reason I'm using all three of these is because mm-hmm. I think they all interweave. That's where I want to go with it. All, th- all three of her questions I th- on there? I do, yes. Okay. That's, that's the route I want to go. And, and the reason is because I don't have the data from her on I only orgasm whilst asleep was this pre-marriage too. Right. Right? Because I don't know. I mean, sometimes you, if, and it is, I did do some uh, research through on women and orgasming while they're asleep. Mm-hmm. That absolutely, I mean, men can have wet dreams. They're mm-hmm. typically tied to a dream. She's saying they're not. I'm curious if they are, but they're just not remembered. Because can't we have times where yeah. we dream, but we it's not at a level that is registered that we're dreaming mm-hmm. even. And mm-hmm. so I'm curious about that. But I'm more curious about how this has probably manifested itself more during the marriage because what she has the possibility of having sex with isn't all that appealing if you look at a lot of the aspects of the way he does life. Right. And his association with her. Yeah. Right. Um, And I just mean relational. I don't mean attractiveness. Right. And I don't mean character necessarily. I just mean the dynamics of So I'm not trying to make a judgment call of this guy. Right. But there is an element of thinking through this that how do I look at it as, you know what, in a lot of ways, my marriage isn't arousing. It can be functional in a Mm -hmm. lot of other ways, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but it isn't arousing. And so it's not at all beyond the realm of possibility to think, well, you would be aroused when you're sleeping and maybe something else fires that up. Interesting, though, that, you know, if if she had... I'm curious if she attempts to masturbate and that's she can't. And that's, I'm kind of guessing that there's a, it's alluded there. there. Yeah. Because she's tried a bunch of things. But to still not be able to orgasm in, right. in that scenario, I guess. And this is a little bit of a commercial, I guess you could say, mm-hmm. for an upcoming episode because I just recorded one uh, with Dr. Lori Mintz again, mm-hmm. the Becoming Cliterate. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, she's the author of that. And we talked about at length the aspects of the female orgasm. Mm-hmm. And so there can be some really good information that's coming. And I'll allude to it because she talks about the importance of masturbation because mm-hmm. it, it just does help you understand yourself better, especially when it's an exploration and it's out in the open. That's the stance we've always taken that I'm not hiding it and I'm not doing it to the detriment or, um, avoidance of my spouse right i'm using it as the gap between the higher lower and i'm using it as just an understanding of myself but then Mm -hmm. she added 
um, a component, a, a phrase of the importance of a vibrator because the vibration motion works really well with a clitoris. Yeah. That those two really do well and respond well Which to each other. Which is why that market has done so well. Totally. And so I don't know if that's been incorporated in, in her a- adventures and exploration mm-hmm. and experiments to mm-hmm. see. But the one thing I think of, and this is where I want to pivot from it towards the other components of how do you deal with the dynamics right? of right. he works a lot and when he's in the mood, he is all of a sudden hyper aggressive, even hyper assertive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I love her terminology because I think this is what we all try to do. I've tried to explain this to him gently. But you know how when you're trying to explain to somebody when they're revved up, it just doesn't ever really land. Sure. Right? It's like trying to talk to our kids when they're anxious about something. Right. And you're using logic to calm them down. And they're like, that doesn't just make you calm down. (laughs) Yeah. There's no logic when they're kind of. Right. And so it's the same kind of thing that all of a sudden there's this flood in his brain, if you will, of hormone and desire. And so it's just heading that way. And when you shoot back at, hey, no, I don't respond this way. This isn't appealing. Yeah, he's going to hear that as a rejection, but I would say that's his move of still trying to get what he wants Mm -hmm. rather than see it as, you know what, ma'am, that's just his move. If he wants to take it as a rejection, fine, because some of it is, Mm -hmm. right? It's like, I don't like that. Well, and she doesn't like the rejection either. Nobody's fond of it. True. Um, And if he's not the one listening, he's not the one... Listening, meaning to the the show, and he's not the one trying to work on this aspect of right. the relationship. There's not going to be much movement there in how he deals with rejection. Right. So it's kind of, I mean, am I wrong in saying this is kind of going to be on her and how is she going to continue to react to that? Well, this or is what's just the change. Right. This is, this is for her trying to just, how do you solidify, not necessarily, and this is where I think you need to parse it out. So thanks for kind of setting this up, Pam. Let's, let's go kind of global first. Okay. Every one of us wants to be shown love, demonstrated love, expressed love in certain ways. And we try to teach that to our spouse. Mm-hmm. I would love it if you would just come up and snuggle next to me. Mm-hmm. I would love it if you would come up and rub my shoulders. I would love it if you would just go for a grope as you walked past. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, whatever it might be, that, that that's the kind of erotic I want to have from you. Mm-hmm. And that almost, without fail, lands on a spouse of, oh, okay. But it usually doesn't resonate as in a fundamental, oh, I'll start doing everything they're asking me to do. Right. Right. That's just human nature. Right. Right. This like because that almost takes away there's that part within us that's like, don't tell me what to do. I'm gonna show you love the way I want to show you love. And I'm just kind of doing a macro level conversation first. Yeah, I think there's that. I think there's also the um well now if I do it, they're just gonna think I'm doing it because they told me to do it and it's well, not for That's the catch twenty two side of it. Right. Sure. Okay. So, and, and that's what, that's what can feed into it because there is still this element of, no, I like expressing love the way I express love. Mm-hmm. And this is where the whole mechanism of growth comes into play in the marriage mm-hmm. of that pressure becomes more inherent on both parties to determine, can I incorporate some of what they're asking and it still be me and genuine? Yeah. Or do I have to just follow the playbook 
And that's what they really care about because they don't really want me. They just want the playbook. And this is where we get to the deeper meanings right. of stuff. Okay. So she's trying to teach him differently while at the same time, let him down softly. Mm-hmm. I would separate those two suckers. Okay. That when he's coming at it and it's a turnoff, just deal with the fact that it's a turnoff. You know what, honey? The way you're coming at me right now doesn't work. I'm not, it's not. And just leave it at that. It's not creating what I think it is you're looking for. Don't try to add any solutions in that moment. So when do you treat someone, teach someone how to treat you? When are the solutions coming into play? Well, we're always teaching people how to treat us. And so some of that you look back, you look back at, okay, how am I possibly stepping on the thing I'm frustrated about already? Okay. (laughs) Right. Because I allow this in other ways or wherever in a different area of my life. It's possible. So at least have the courage to do that introspection. And we're also kind of leading into where the extended content's going today with this, with this right here. Okay. But the other is a lot of times when I will finally make a fundamentally different move to separate those out of, okay, that's not working. So no good, no go right now. Right. And then I remove myself from the situation or I do something different than I normally would do when faced with this. That most of the time disrupts the system to where it's greater likelihood than at some point, maybe soon thereafter or during the next cycle of this, when you do the same move, he will then have to self-regulate a little differently and then probably ask, okay, so what are we trying to accomplish here? What is the real goal? How, what is a better way? And mm-hmm. now all of a sudden he's coming at it from a different stance. Mm-hmm. And the scary thing about this whole reason why we don't do this is because I'm afraid if I really put my foot down and say, that doesn't work, then all of a sudden now he's going to be, okay, and he just never brings never it up again. Never tries again. again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which, yep, that is a possibility. Possible. N- not I, likely. You know, not likely. I mean, he at least in some sort of cycle comes around and does make a move, it sounds like, so... That just doesn't go away. Right. I'm just curious how it is that she's coming at this whole thing. And this let's bring it all back together for all three of these things. Okay. How is she pursuing something in a relational dynamic that is her being who she wants to be and as she sees herself going after this too? Because mm-hmm. if she's the higher desire, then that means the majority of the inst- instigations are on her. Mm-hmm. So how is she conducting herself in that manner? How is she coming after things? Which I could see where maybe it's it, that's a huge conundrum because if a lot of us seek sex because I really want the goal of orgasm, but yet I don't achieve that unless I'm asleep a couple of times a year, why would I seek it with something? Why would I seek those moments when I'm not going to achieve that goal? That's a conundrum. It is. It is. I mean, you know, we've talked about. You don't always have to have that goal in mind, but we no, like having that goal, right? That That is something that we enjoy achieving, and it's worth striving for. It, right? it, at least going down the path of exploration, and I like that. Yeah. Jessa Zimmerman in the webinar we did yes. just recently to refer to it. Just go to the playground. Yeah. 
And it doesn't matter which apparatus you go to, metaphorically speaking, just go play and see where that leads you. Mm -hmm. And so what if you change the connotation to where it's not just, you know what, I'm really interested in sex. It's just, I want to get to, I want to get naked and just play around with you for a little Mm -hmm. bit. And let's just see what happens. And maybe that helps take some of the pressure off, which are the blockages and the breaks Mm -hmm. that are leading to this issue. Or, and maybe what if you did the same thing solo of like, okay, this isn't just trying to reach orgasm. This is about what feels good. Mm-hmm. And I don't have to follow it through. Can, maybe I just kind of slowly wake, make my way to it and see if that gets you any further down the road. Because I think that's the whole point is just movement, not necessarily the goal. I don't know about you, Pam, but um, what do you say after we wrap this show up? Uh, a more than $4 cup of coffee? You interested? <laughs> How about we make our own coffee and then like spend money on something else? I like that even better. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> this has been Sexy Marriage Radio. Uh, this is kind of a fun one because we added in something we don't, you know, a little area we don't usually go. Yeah. When we're talking about just millennials and stages of life and money. But man, they are all impacts on marriage. Yeah, they are. And they're all aspects of of doing life together. And if it's not one thing that's going to trip us up, it's going to be another. Mm-hmm. And so we're here for you. Mm-hmm. Let us know what we can where we can go for you that will help. 214-702-9565 or feedback at sexymarriageradio.com. Wherever you are and whatever you've been doing, thanks so much for taking some time out of your week to spend it with us again. We'll see you next time.